The Good Friday service in Dampera Baptist Church in Bangladesh, it was packed. Uh, little children sat on the floor in the aisles and across the front of the church. And rows of people stood in the back, craning their necks to see the crucifixion scene as depicted in the Jesus film. In disbelief, the crowd watched the scene as Jesus was nailed to the cross, dying. And as the Bengalis watched, they felt the agony of Jesus' pain and the disappointment of the disciples. In fact, as they watched it, the audience wept and gasped. In that emotional, then, in that emotional moment, there was a little boy in the front row who stood in that crowd and he stood up to the church and he cried out, do not be afraid, he gets up again. I saw it before. That small boy's mini sermon gave new hope to the viewers of the film. Jesus is risen, a declaration that offers hope to everyone who believes in Jesus. Now, like the little boy in Bangladesh, the Apostle Peter preaches a powerful sermon in Acts chapter 3, verses 11 to 26. Peter's sermon happens after an extraordinary event that occurred near the temple in Jerusalem, an event that drew an incredible crowd. You see, as, as Peter and John headed into the temple to pray, they encounter a lame beggar who's sitting at the gate. Now, this man has, he's been unable to walk since birth. In fact, most people in the community in Jerusalem knew him because he's been sitting in that same spot outside the temple as long as people can remember. Uh, people walked by him every single day. They knew him. Well, when the lame man asks Peter and John for money, they offer him something better. They look him in the eye and they extend a hand and they say, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Oh, and you won't believe what happened next. Sure enough, sure enough, the man rose to his feet, took a few shaky steps, and then the beggar began jumping, jumping for joy and praising God. The lame man cried with joy, and the crowd that now surrounded him, they clapped and they celebrated the miracle that they had just witnessed. Now, let me ask you, that man's life was changed that day, completely forever. And not only was he healed physically, he was restored spiritually. And here's my question. What would you have done after walking for the first time in your life? Hmm. This man? This man, he heads into the temple courts with Peter and John to pray. What a transformation. In fact, I wonder if Peter and John were as shocked as the lame man who now walks. I, I imagine, I imagine John looking at Peter and saying something like this. How did you know we could do that, Peter? Well, let's pick up the action of, of uh, this story at Acts chapter 3, verse 11. It says this, while the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. 
You see, apparently the news had spread around the city so quickly at this uh, event because it didn't happen every day. It drew a crowd. Solomon's colonnade was a covered walkway that ran along the outer wall of the temple, and it was a common gathering place for the early church. But what is most surprising this day, even more shocking than the dancing lame man, is what happens next. Listen to verse 12. When Peter saw this, he said to them, people of Israel. Isn't that interesting? After this miraculous event, Peter doesn't say, hey, find all the sick people in Jerusalem and line them up. He doesn't say, round up all the homeless people in town. We're going to get them off the streets. No, what Peter does, he preaches a sermon. I like the way the message translates this verse. It says, when Peter saw he had a congregation, he addressed the people. Why does Peter do that? Because he wants everyone to know that this beggar, this beggar was just the first of many people whose lives were going to be changed by the gospel message Peter had. You see, what happened to this man, Peter says, needs to happen to all of you. All of you need to be healed. You need to be transformed. And in the sermon that follows, Peter tells why and how. You see, the mission of the church, the mission of the early church wasn't simply to heal people who were physically sick or to help people who were materially poor. When miracles and generosity occurred in the early church, the church isn't trying to simply make the world a better place. No. The miracles and the generosity of the church, these acts, give non-believers a taste of what heaven will be like, gives a taste of what the kingdom of God is like. Having just tasted the kingdom of God in this man's healing, the crowd listens to Peter's explanation. You see, the crowd seeks this transformative power of God. And this is why instead of holding, holding a healing service or setting up a food pantry, Peter launches into a sermon. Peter believes that the word of God has the power to change the life of every person listening that day. I like how David Young says it in his book, A Grand Illusion. He writes this, Jesus, he never argues against any public policy stating rather that his kingdom is not of this world, John 18, verse 36. You see, imperial Rome was filled with social injustices, and Jesus knew that quite well that there were problems. He taught people not to go along with these systems, but he never protested the systems themselves. There were no marches. There were no demonstrations. Jesus did not lead a campaign to burn, burn Rome. No battles or record appointees. In fact, Tiberius Caesar was a horrible person, one of the most perverted, violent, and cruel men in history. But Jesus never confronted his policies. Jesus never even confronted Rome with all of its evils. He goes on to write this. Instead of challenging Rome's social institutions, Jesus confronted individuals and the religious establishment with their sins. He called them to repentance, and he demanded that they embrace him as Lord. Jesus knew, and this is very important, 
that if he changed enough lives individually and from the heart, Rome's evils would collapse on themselves. And this is exactly what happened. You see, when Christianity grew large enough, many of the empire's evils were banished by the emperors themselves. Everything from adultery and the gladiatorial games to infanticide and abortion. The Roman world was not changed by protests and marches. It was changed by the making of millions of disciples. Isn't that powerful? And this is why Peter preaches. He's wanting to make disciples, not simply start a program. He's, he's wanting to make disciples, not simply start a political utopia on earth. So let's listen to Peter's sermon. And as you do, pay attention to how Peter preaches. Look at verse 12. People of Israel, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one and asked that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God, God raised him from the dead. We are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know, he was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you can all see. Now, brothers and sisters, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, saying that his Messiah would suffer. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you even Jesus. He must remain in heaven until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. And anyone who, who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from his people. Indeed, all the prophets from Samuel on, as many as have spoken, have foretold these days. And you are heirs, heirs of the prophets and of the covenant God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. When God raised up his servant Jesus, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. That's the end of his sermon. Now, what do you notice about Peter's sermon? What words or phrases would you use to describe the teaching ministry of the early church according to this sermon? From Peter's sermons, we, sermon, we can find four characteristics of discipleship. First, this. Good discipleship is Christ-centered. Good discipleship is Christ-centered. From the very beginning of the sermon, Peter deflects attention away from himself 
and towards Jesus. Twice, twice he tells the crowd that it's Jesus and the power of Jesus' name that has worked this miracle. In fact, eight times he refers to Jesus as Christ, the holy and righteous one, the author of life, and the Messiah. Here's a great test to see if as a church, as a Sunday school class, or as a small group, if we are making disciples. It's this. Is the focus of our gathering on Jesus? Is the focus of our gathering together on Jesus? As the church, we just don't study words. We study the word of God. Remember what John 1.1 tells us? In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. This is why we study a variety of books of the Bible in the course of a year. Think, we've been through the Psalms and the prophets, the Gospels and the Epistles, and we've touched on a variety of topics. We've, we've talked about doubt. We've talked about doing good. We've talked about relationships, sexuality, money. Though there's always variety, no matter what we talk about at church, we are always leading people to encounter Jesus. Because Jesus is the one who changes lives. He is the one who can make us whole. He is the one who can make us well. Jesus, Jesus is the one who makes us resilient in difficult times. Good discipleship is Christ-centered. Second, good discipleship is biblical. Good discipleship is biblical. Did you notice how many times Peter refers to Old Testament scripture? Uh, In this one sermon alone, oh my goodness, he mentions Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Moses, and Samuel. Uh, Peter talks about the covenant. He talks about the prophets. Peter wants his listeners to know that he's not making this stuff up and that what just occurred, what occurred on that day, it was a fulfillment of scripture. And this is why the early church was grounded in the words God had used to reveal himself in both both the Old Testament and in the New Testament teachings of Jesus and the apostles. There's a story at a Christian university of a student who shared a room with another Muslim student. And as they became friends, their conversations turned towards their beliefs. The believer in Jesus asked the Muslim if he had ever read the Bible, and the Muslim answered no. But then he asked if the Christian had ever read the Quran. And the believer responded, no, I haven't, but I'm sure it would be interesting. Hey, why don't we do this? Why don't we read both together once a week, alternating books? Well, the young man accepted the challenge and their friendship deepened. And during the second term, the Muslim young man became a believer in Jesus Christ. One evening late in the term, The the Muslim, who's now a new Christian, burst into the room and shouted at the student who had been a long-term believer. He said, you deceived me. Well, the long-term believer said, what are you talking about? And the new believer opened his Bible and he said this, I've been reading it through like you told me, and I just read that God's word is living and active. And the former Muslim student grinned. You knew all along that the Bible contained God's power and that the Quran is a book like any other. I never had a chance, did I? The believer asked his friend, 
and now you'll hate me for life? And the other young man responded, no. But it was an unfair contest from the beginning. You see, discipleship happens when people are engaged with the living word of God. This is why every sermon, every sermon at Blenville is an exploration of a biblical text. We believe that it is in the study of God's word that disciples are made. Third, good discipleship is interactive. Good discipleship is interactive. You see, Peter's sermon isn't just a lecture on prophetic literature. It's not an abstract discourse on the nature of change. This is a message from one person to other persons. And right from the beginning, Peter engages his listeners. He looks them in the eye and he calls them out. Verse 12 says, people of Israel. And notice how direct Peter is. Verse 13, you handed him over. Verse 17, you acted in ignorance. Verse 25, you are heirs. 23 times, Peter uses the words, you or your. And then he draws on his own experience as well. We are witnesses of these things. You see, there's more to discipleship than just simply dumping information on people. A uh, professor of pre preaching, Hayden Robinson, Hayden Robinson, excuse me, he used to say that preaching should feel like a lively conversation. See, even though a preacher is doing the talking, they're doing it in a way that engages the congregation personally. Uh, that's why at Blenville, we like to ask questions and share stories. That's why we use testimonies and music. It shows God's word as it is experienced and lived out in people's lives. But there's only so much interaction. There's only so much interaction that can happen in a church sanctuary or online. Therefore, it is so important that you find other venues to grow in your faith. I'm talking about joining a Sunday school class or studying the Bible in a small group. Disciples grow best with the insight and support of other believers. Finally, good discipleship is transformational. Good discipleship is transformational. Uh, Peter expected this sermon to change people's lives. He's not looking for them to shake his hand afterward and say, hey, nice sermon, Rev. No, Peter wants them to do more than take notes. He wants them to go home different, different than when they were when they came. So he confronts them in verse 19. Repent then and turn to God. He inspires them with the promise of a new and better day. He says that times, are times of refreshing may come from the Lord. In verse 25, he challenges them to live up to their high calling. He says, you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant. Through you, all peoples of the earth will be blessed. In the Old Testament, we meet a wise man named Ezra. Ezra devoted himself to studying God's word, but he also took the next step, the most important step in learning. Listen to what it says in Ezra chapter 7, verse 10. For Ezra had devoted himself to the study and observance of the law of the Lord and to teaching its decrees 
and laws. That phrase, Ezra devoted himself to the observance of the law. That is so key to the Christian life. You see, we learn far more by doing than we do by just listening, by just hearing. In fact, you've heard the studies. Research has shown that people retain about 10% of what they hear, 20% of what they see, but 90% of what they do. Moses told God's people in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 14, The word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and it is in your heart so that you can, here it is, do it. God's presence indwells us to successfully live the Christian life. The goal of discipleship is that people would be changed by Jesus. It's not just about knowing the Bible. Discipleship is about living the Bible. Church, live the Bible. Be a disciple of Jesus. God bless.